Chapter One of Part Three of the Lives of Three Mrs. Judsons by Arabella M. Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One, Part Three Biographical Sketch of Mrs. Emily C. Judson, Third Wife of Reverend Adoriam Judson, D.D. Biographical Sketch of Mrs. Emily C. Judson. Remarks on Her Genius her early life conversion employments tales and poems acquaintance with dr judson marriage voyage to india biography of mrs s b judson poem written off st helena poem on the birth of an infant lines addressed to a bereaved friend letter to her children prayer for dear papa poem addressed to her mother her account of dr judson's last illness and death our labor of sketching the lives of the three distinguished women who are permitted to share the happiness and lighten the cares of one of the most worthy and venerated of missionaries now brings us on delicate ground the last wife of dr judson happily for her numerous friends and for his and for her children survives him long may she be spared to train those children in the ways of lofty piety to gladden the wide circle of friends and relatives now anxiously expecting her return to her native land and to gratify the admirers of her genius with the graceful and eloquent effusions of her pen graceful and eloquent they have always been but of late touched by a coal from the altar on which she has laid her best sacrifice herself they have gained a higher and purer flow awakened by a holier inspiration the world admired the brilliancy of fanny forrester christians love the exalted tenderness the sanctified enthusiasm of emily c judson much as it would gratify us and her friends to give an extended account of her life delicacy forbids us to do more than merely to sketch those features in it which are ready of the property of much of the public reading our outline will necessarily be meagre but we will enrich it by several of her poems written in india hitherto scarce published except in perishable newspapers and periodicals we might indeed make it more interesting by incidents and anecdotes drawing from those of her early associates who loved to dwell on the rich promise of her childhood and youth but by doing so we should incur the risk of intruding on the sacredness of the family circle and we forbear she was born in eton a town near the center of the state of new york in her childhood she exhibited an exuberance of imagination that enabled her to delight her young associates with tales which according to one of them she would sit up in bed in the morning to write and then read aloud to them she would even then write verses also but in this gift she was perhaps inferior to a sister who died in early life and whose numerous poems were unfortunately and to the grief of her family accidentally lost at an early period she embraced religion and was baptized by the reverend mr dean a missionary to china then in this country 
her interest was awakened in the heathen even at that time and she indulged in many ardent longings to go as a missionary to them the late dr kendrick judiciously advised her to pursue the path of duty at home and quietly wait the leadings and openings of providence this advice she followed and as a means of improving the straitened circumstances of her family she left home and engaged as a teacher in a seminary in utica desirous to increase still farther her mother's limited resources she determined to employ her pen and publish some short religious tales which however brought her little fame and small pecuniary emolument but in eighteen forty four by a skilful and happy letter to the conductor of the new york mirror she so attracted the attention of the fastidious and brilliant editor of the magazine that he engaged her as a constant contributor this arrangement though of great pecuniary advantage was in a religious view a snare to her as a writer of light graceful stories of purely worldly character she had in this country few rivals and her name attached to a tale or poem became a passport to a popular favor in a letter to her aged pastor written a year after her marriage she laments her extreme worldliness at that point which she says even led her to be ashamed of her former desire to be a missionary yet her writings are marked by purity and generally inculcated nothing unfriendly either to virtue or religion but it was the religion of sentiment and the virtue of a natural heart of which it must be confessed that we find far more in fictitious tales than in real life when we consider the nobleness of the motive that led her to seek a popular path to favor and emolument to increase the comforts of her excellent and honored mother our censor were we disposed to indulge any is disalarmed and almost changed to admiration during dr judson's visit to america in eighteen forty five while riding in a public conveyance with mr g who was escorting him to his home in philadelphia a story written by fanny forrester fell into the hands of dr j he read it with satisfaction remarking that he should like to know its author you will soon have that pleasure said mr g for she is now visiting at my house an acquaintance then commenced between them which notwithstanding the disparity in their years soon ripened into a warm attachment and after a severe struggle she broke as she says the innumerable ties that bound her to the fascinating worldly life she had adopted and consented to become what in her early religious zeal she had longed to be a missionary and now the spell of worldliness was indeed broken with mingled shame and penitence she reviewed her spiritual declensions and with an humbled self-distrusting spirit renewed her neglected covenant with the god and guide of her youth in dr judson in whom she was married on the second of june eighteen forty six she found a wise and faithful friend and counsellor 
as well as a devoted husband in his tried and experienced piety she gained the support and encouragement she needed in her christian life conscious that she had given to the world's service too many of her noble gifts she commenced a work of exclusively religious character and tendency the biography of her preceder the second mrs judson in one year it was completed and in speaking of it in a letter from india whither she had accompanied dr j immediately after their marriage she playfully remarked that her husband was pleased with it and she cared little whether any one else liked it or not on her passage to india mrs judson passed in sight of that island which must ever attract the gaze of men of every clime and nation the rocky prison and tomb of the conqueror of nations napoleon bonaparte but to her the island had more tender associations awakened more touching recollections it was as the grave of sarah judson that her succeeder gazed long and tearfully on the isle of st helena and she thus embodied her feelings in a song lines written off st helena blow softly gales a tender sigh is flung upon your wing lose not the treasure as ye fly bear it where love and beauty lie silent and withering flow gently waves a tear is laid upon your heaving breast leave it within yon rock's shade or weave it in an iris band to crown the christian's rest bloom ocean isle lone ocean isle thou keepest a jewel rare let rugged rock and dark defile above the slumbering stranger smile and deck her couch with care weep ye bereaved a dearer head ne'er left the pillowing breast the good the pure the lovely fled when mingling with shadowy dead she meekly went to rest morn burma morn a bow which spanned thy cloud has passed away a flower has withered on thy sand a pitying spirit left thy strand a saint has ceased to pray angels rejoice another string has caught the strains above rejoice rejoice a new-fledged wing around the throne is hovering in sweet glad wondering love blow blow ye gales wild billows roll unfurl the canvas wide oh where she labored lies our goal weak timid frail yet would my soul fain be to hers allied ship faniel hall september eighteen forty six on the birth of an infant she expressed her first maternal feelings in verses of such exquisite beauty that they can never be omitted in any collection of the gems of poetry least of all in the collections of her poems the following are the verses alluded to my bird ere last year's moon had left the sky a birdling sought my indian nest and folded oh so lovingly her tiny wing upon my breast from morn till evening's purple tinge in winsome helplessness she lies two rose leaves with a silken fringe 
shut softly on her starry eyes there's not an end a lovelier bird broad earth owns not a happier nest o god thou hast a fountain stirred whose waters never more shall rest this beautiful mysterious thing this seeming visitant from heaven this bird with the immortal wing to me to me thy hand has given the pulse has caught thy tiny stroke the blood its crimson hue from mine this life which i have dared invoke henceforth is parallel with thine a silent awe is in my room i tremble with delicious fear the future with its light and gloom time and eternity are here doubts hopes and eager tumult rise hear o oh my god one earnest prayer room for my bird in paradise and give her angel plumage there malmain january eighteen forty eight the following touching lines show that she could skilfully employ her ready pen in consoling those on whom had fallen the stroke of bereavement lines addressed to a missionary friend in burma on the death of her little boy thirteen months old in which allusion is made to the previous death of his little brother a mound is in the graveyard a short and narrow bed no grass is growing on it and no marble at its head ye may sit and weep beside it ye may kneel and kiss the sod but ye'll find no balm for sorrow in the cold and silent clod there is anguish in the household it is desolate and lone for a fondly cherishing nursling from the parent nest has flown a little form is missing a heart has ceased to beat and the chain of love lies shattered at the desolator's feet remove the empty cradle his clothing put away and all his little playthings with your choicest treasures lay strive not to check the tear-drops that fall like summer rain for the sun of hope shines through them he shall see his face again oh think where rest your darling not in his cradle bed not in the distant graveyard with the still and mouldering dead but in a heavenly mansion upon the saviour's breast with his brother's arms about him he takes his sainted rest he is put on robes of glory for the little robes he wrought and he fingers golden harp strings for the toys his sisters brought oh weep but with rejoicing a heart gem have ye given and behold its glorious setting in the diadem of heaven the following letter and beautiful poems need little explanation the letter is addressed to some of dr judson's children who resided in worcester massachusetts having been sent home from india to be educated in america his health having failed dr judson had sailed for the isle of bourbon for its restoration and it was during his absence that these effusions were penned malmain april eleventh eighteen fifty my very dear children i have painful news to tell you news that i am sure will make your hearts ache but i hope our heavenly father will help you to bear it 
your dear papa is very very ill indeed so much so that the best judges fear that he will never be any better he began to fail about five months ago and has declined so gradually that we were not fully aware of his danger until lately but within a few weeks those who love him have become very much alarmed in january we went down to murgy by the steamer and when we returned thought he was a little better but he soon failed again we spent a month in amherst but he received little if any benefit next the doctors pronounced our house the one you used to live in unhealthy and we moved to another but it was of no use your dear papa continued to fail till suddenly one evening his muscular strength gave way and he was prostrated on the bed unable to help himself this occurred about two weeks ago the doctor now became alarmed and said the only hope for him was in a long voyage it was very hard to think of such a thing in his reduced state particularly as i could not go with him but after we had wept and prayed over it one day and night we concluded that it was our duty to use the only means which god had left us however painful we immediately engaged his passage on board a french bark bound to the isle of bourbon but before it sailed he had become so very low that no one thought it right for him to go alone they therefore called a meeting of the mission and appointed mr rainey it was a great comfort to me for he is a very kind man and loves your dear papa very much and he will do everything that can be done for his comfort the officers of the vessel too seemed greatly interested for him as did every one else he was carried on board a week ago yesterday in a litter and placed on a nice easy cot made purposely for him i stayed with him all day and at dark came home to stay with the children the next day found that the vessel had only dropped down a little distance so i took a boat and followed i expected this would certainly be the last day with him but it was not on friday i went again and though he did not appear as well as on the previous days I was forced to take, as I supposed, a final leave of him. But when morning came, I felt as though I could not live through the day without knowing how he was. So I took a boat again and reached the vessel about two o'clock p.m. He could only speak in whispers, but seemed very glad that I came. The natives I had sent to fan him till he should get out of the river came to me and begged to have him taken on shore again and so small was my hope of his recovery that my heart pleaded on their side though i still thought it a duty to do as the doctor had ordered i came away at dark and though his lips moved to say some word of farewell they made no sound i hope that you my dear boys will never have cause to know what a heavy heart i bore back to my desolate home that night the vessel got out to sea about four o'clock on monday and last night the natives returned bringing a letter from mr rainey your precious papa has revived again spoke aloud and took a little tea and toast and said there was something animating 
in the touch of the sea breeze and directed mr rainey to write to me that he had a strong belief it was the will of god to restore him to health again i feel somewhat encouraged but dare not to hope too much and now my dear boys it will be three perhaps four long months before we can hear from our beloved once again and we shall all be very anxious all we can do is commit him to the care of our heavenly father and if we never see him again in this world pray that we may be prepared to meet him in heaven your most affectionate mother emily c judson prayer for dear papa poor and needy little children saviour god we come to thee for our hearts are full of sorrow and no other hope have we out upon the restless ocean there is one we dearly love fold him in thine arms of pity spread thy guardian wings above when the winds are howling round him when the angry waves are high when black heavy midnight shadows on his trackless pathway lie guide and guard him blessed saviour bid the hurrying tempest say plant thy foot upon the waters send thy smile to light his way when he lies all pale and suffering stretched upon his narrow bed with no loving face bent o'er him no soft hand about his head oh let kind and pitying angels their bright forms around him bow let them kiss his heavy eyelids let them fan his fevered brow poor needy little children still we raise our cry to thee we have nestled in his bosom we have sported on his knee dearly dearly do we love him we who on his breast have lain pity now our desolation bring him back to us again if it please thee heavenly father we would see him come once more with his olden step of vigor with the love-lit smile he wore but if we must tread life's valley orphaned guideless and alone let us not lose mid the shadows his dear footprints to thy throne malmain april eighteen fifty sweet mother the wind southwest monsoon has risen with broad gray wings of gloom while here form out my dreary prison i look as from a tomb alas my heart has another tomb upon the low thatched roof the rain with ceaseless patter falls my choicest treasure bear its stain mould gathers on the walls would heaven twere only on the walls sweet mother i am here alone in sorrow and in pain the sunshine from my heart has flown it feels the driving rain ah me the chill and mould and rain four laggard months have wheeled their round since love upon it smiled and everything of earth has frowned on thy poor stricken child sweet friend thy weary suffering child i had watched my loved ones night and day scarce breathing when he slept and as my hopes were swept away i'd on his bosom wept oh god how i prayed and wept 
they bore him from me to the ship as bears bear the dead i kissed his speechless quivering lip and left him on his bed alas it seemed a coffin bed when from my gentle sister's womb in all our grief we came rememberest thou her vacant room well his was just the same that day the very very same then mother little charlie came our beautiful fair boy with mine own father's cherished name but oh he brought no joy my child brought mourning and no joy his little grave i cannot see though weary months have sped since pitying lips bent over me and whispered he is dead alas tis dreadful to be dead i do not mean for one like me so weary worn and weak death's shadowy paleness seems to be even now upon my cheek his seal on form and brow and cheek but for a bright-winged bird like him to hush his joyous song and prisoned in a coffin dim join death's pale phantom throng my boy to join that grisly throng o mother i can scarcely bear to think of this to-day it was so exquisitely fair that little form of clay my heart still lingers by his clay and when for one loved far far more come thickly gathering tears my star of faith is clouded over i sink beneath my fears sweet friend my heavy weight of fears oh should he not return to me drearer drearer must life's night and mother i can almost see even now the gathering blight my soul faints stricken by the blight oh but to feel thy fond arms twine around me once again it almost seems those lips of thine might kiss away the pain might soothe this dull cold heavy pain but gentle mother though through life's storms i may not lean on thee for helpless cowering little forms cling trustingly to me poor babes they have no to guide but me with weary foot and broken wing with pleading heart and sore thy dove looks backward sorrowing but seeks the ark no more thy breast seeks never never more sweet mother for this wanderer pray that loftier faith may be given her broken reeds all swept away that she may lean on heaven her soul grow strong on christ in heaven all fearfully and tearfully alone the sorrowing my dim eye lift to the sky fast to the cross i cling o christ to thy dear cross i cling malmain august eighth eighteen fifty from the sad voyage which drew forth this most touching poem dr judson never returned he died on board the ship which was bearing him to the most healthful climes and his body was committed to the ocean one of the most excellent of mrs judson's productions is her account of the closing scenes in her husband's life contained in a letter to his sisters long as it is we cannot bring ourselves to abridge it it will convince the readers that if there whose lives we have sketched have been among the first of women they were united to one who knew and appreciated their excellence 
who was worthy to share their affection closing scenes in the life of dr judson by his window last month i could do no more than to announce to you our painful bereavement which though not altogether unexpected will i very well know fall upon your heart with overwhelming weight you will find the account of your brother's last days on board the aristide marie in a letter written by mr rainey from maritus to the secretary of the board and i can add nothing to it with the exception of a few unimportant particulars gleaned in the conversation with mr r and the corninga servant i grieve that it should be so that i was not permitted to watch beside him during those days of terrible suffering but the pain which i felt at first is gradually yielded to a gratitude for the inestimable privileges which has previously granted me there was something exceedingly beautiful in the decline of your brother's life more beautiful than i can describe though the impression will remain with me as sacred legacy until i go to meet him where sun shall never set and life shall never end he had been from my first acquaintance with him an uncommonly spiritual christian exhibiting his richest grace in the unguarded intercourse of private life but during his last year it seemed as though the light of the world upon which he was entering had been sent to brighten his upward pathway every subject on which we conversed every book we read every incident that occurred whether trivial or important had a tendency to suggest some peculiarly spiritual train of thought till it seemed to me that more than ever before christ was all his theme something of the same nature was also noted in his preaching to which i then had not the privilege of listening he was in the habit however of studying his subject for sabbath audibly and in my presence at which time he was frequently so much affected as to weep and sometimes so overwhelmed with the vastness of his conceptions as to be obliged to abandon his theme and choose another my own illness at the commencement of the year had brought eternity very near to us and rendered death the grave and the bright heaven beyond it familiar subjects of conversation gladly would i give to you my dear sister some idea of the share borne by him in those memorable conversations but it would be impossible to convey even to those who knew him best the most distant conception i believe he has sometimes been thought eloquent both in conversation and in the sacred desk but the ferret burning eloquence and the deep pathos the touching tenderness the elevation of thought and intense beauty of expression which characterized those private teachings were not only beyond what i had ever heard before but such as i felt sure arrested his own attention and surprised even himself about this time he began to find unusual satisfaction and enjoyment in his private devotions and seemed to have few objects of interest continually rising in his mind 
each of which in turn became special subjects of prayer among these one of the most predominant was the conversion of his posterity he remarked that he had always prayed for his children but that of late he had felt impressed with the duty of praying for their children and their children's children down to the latest generation he also prayed most fervently that his impressions on this peculiar subject might be transformed to his sons and daughters and thence to their offspring that he should ultimately meet a long unbroken line of descendants before the throne of god where all might join together in ascribing everlasting praises to their redeemer another subject which occupied a large share of his attention was that of brotherly love you are perhaps aware that like all persons of his ardent temperament he was subject to strong attachments and aversions which he sometimes had difficulty in bringing under the controlling influence of divine grace he remarked that he always felt more or less of an affectionate interest in his brethren as brethren and some of them he had loved very dearly for their personal qualities but that he was now aware that he never placed his standards of love high enough he spoke of them as children of god redeemed by the saviour's blood watched over and guarded by his love dearer to his heart honored by him in the election and to be honored thereafter before the assembled universe and he said it was not sufficient to be kind and obliging to such to abstain from evil speaking and make a general mention of them in our prayers but our attachment to them should be of the race ardent and exalted character it would be so in heaven and we lost immeasurably by not beginning now as i have loved you so ought ye also to love one another was the same continually in his mind and he would often murmur as though unconsciously as i have loved you as i have loved you then burst out with the exclamation oh the love of christ the love of christ his prayers for the mission were marked by an earnest grateful enthusiasm and in speaking of missionary operations in general his tone was one of elevated triumph almost in exultation for he not only felt unshaken confidence in their final success but would often exclaim what wonders oh what wonders god has already wrought i remarked that during this year his literary labor which he had never liked upon which had entered unwilling and from a feeling of necessity was growing daily more irksome on him and he always spoke of it as his heavy work his tedious work that wearisome dictionary though his feeling led to no relaxation of effort he longed however to find some more spiritual employment to be engaged in what he considered more legitimate missionary labor and drew delightful pictures of the future when his whole business would be but to preach and pray during all this time i had not observed any failure in physical strength and though his mental exercises occupied a large share of my thoughts when alone it never once occurred to me that this might be the brightening of the setting sun 
my only feeling was that of pleasure that one so near to me was becoming so pure and elevated in his sentiments and so lovely and christ-like in his character in person he had grown somewhat stouter than when in america his complexion had a healthy hue compared with that of his associates generally and though by no means a person of uniformly firm health he seemed to possess such vigor and strength of constitution that i thought his life as likely to be extended twenty years longer as that of any member of that mission he continued his system of morning exercise commenced when a student at andover and was not satisfied with a common walk on level ground but always chose an uphill path and then frequently went bounding on his way with all the exuberant activity of boyhood he was of singularly happy temperament although not of that even caste which never rises above a certain level and is never depressed possessing acute sensibilities suffering with those who suffered and entering as readily into the joys of the prosperous and happy he was veritable in his moods but religion formed such an essential element in his character and his trust in providence was so implicit and habitual that he was never gloomy and seldom more than momentarily disheartened on the other hand being accustomed to regard all the events of this life however minute or painful as ordered in wisdom and tending to one great and glorious end he lived in almost constant obedience to the apostolic injunction rejoice evermore he often told me that although he had endured much personal suffering and passed through many fearful trials in this course of his eventful life a kind providence had also hedged him round with precious peculiar blessings so that his joys had far outnumbered his sorrows toward the close of september of last year he said to me one evening what deep cause we have for gratitude to god do you believe there are any other two persons in the world so happy as we are enumerating in his own earnest manner several sources of happiness in which our work as missionaries and our eternal prospects occupied a prominent position when he had finished his glowing picture i remarked i scarcely know why but there was a heavy cloud upon my spirits that evening we are certainly very happy now but it cannot be always i am thinking of the time when one of us must stand beside the bed and see the other die yes he said that will be a sad moment i felt it most deeply a little while ago but now it would be strange if your life were prolonged beyond mine though i should wish it were possible to spare you that pain it is the one left alone who suffers not the one who goes to be with christ 
if it should only be the will of god that we might go together like young james and his wife but he will order all things well and we can safely trust our future into his hands that same night we were roused from sleep by the sudden illness of one of the children there was an unpleasant chilling dampness in the air as it came to us through the opening in the slots above the windows which affected your brother very sensibly and he soon began to shiver so violently that he was obliged to return to his couch where he remained under a warm covering until morning in the morning he awoke with a severe cold accompanied by some degree of fever but as it did not seem very serious and our other three children were all suffering from a similar cause we failed to give it any special attention from that time he was never well though in writing to you before i think i dated the commencement of his illness from the month of november when he laid aside his studies i know that he regarded this attack as trifling and yet one evening he spent a long time in advising me with regard to my future course if i should be deprived of his guidance saying that it is always wise to be prepared for these exigencies of this nature after the month of november he failed gradually occasionally rallying in such a manner as to deceive us all but at each relapse sinking lower than the previous one though still full of hope and courage and yielding ground only inch by inch as compelled by the triumph progress of disease during some hours of every day he suffered intense pain but his natural buoyant spirits and uncomplaining disposition led him to speak so lightly of it that i used sometimes to fear the doctor though a very skilful man would be fatally deceived as his health declined his mental exercises at first seemed to deepen and he gave still larger portions of his time to prayer conversing with utmost freedom on his daily progress and the extent of his self-conquest just before our trip to mergi which took place in january he looked up from his pillow one day with sudden animation and said to me earnestly i have gained the victory at last i love every one of christ's redeemed as i believe he would have me to love them in the same manner though not probably to the same degree as we shall love one another in heaven and gladly would i prefer the meanest of his creatures who bears his name before myself then he said in allusion to the text in honor preferring one another on which he had frequently dwelt with great emphasis after farther similar conversation he concluded and now here i lie at peace with all the world and what is better still at peace with my own conscience i know that i am a miserable sinner in the sight of god with no hope but in the blessed saviour's merits but i cannot think of any particular fault any particularly besetting sin 
which is now at my duty to correct can you tell me of any and truly from this time no other word would so well express his state of feeling as that one of his own choosing peace he had no particular exercises afterwards but remained calm and serene speaking of himself daily as a great sinner who had been overwhelmed with benefits and declaring that he had never in all his life before had such delightful views of the unfathomable love and infinite condescension of the saviour as were now daily opening before him oh the love of christ the love of christ he would suddenly exclaim while his eye kindled and the tears chased down his cheeks we cannot understand it now what a beautiful study for eternity after our return from Murgy, the doctor advised a still farther trial of the effects of sea air and sea bathing and we accordingly proceeded to amherst where we remained nearly a month this to me was the darkest period of his illness no medical adviser no friend at all and he daily growing weaker and weaker he began to totter in walking clinging to the furniture and walls when he thought he was unobserved for he was not willing to acknowledge the extent of his debility and his wan face was of ghastly paleness his sufferings too were sometimes fearfully intense so that in spite of his habitual self-control his groans would fill the house at other times a kind of lethargy seemed to steal over him and he would sleep almost incessantly for twenty-four hours seemingly annoyed if he were aroused or disturbed yet there were portions of the time when he was comparatively comfortable in conversing intelligently but his mind seemed to revert to former scenes and he tried to amuse me with his stories of his boyhood his college days his imprisonment in france in his earlier missionary life he had a great deal also to say on his favorite theme the love of christ but his strength was too much impaired for any continuous mental effort even a short prayer made audibly exhausted him to such a degree that he was obliged to discontinue the practice at length i wrote to malmain giving some expression of my anxieties misgivings and our kind missionary friends who had from the first evidenced evinced all that tender interest and watchful sympathy of the nearest kindred immediately sent for us the doctor advising a sea voyage but as there was no vessel in the harbor bound for a port sufficiently distant we thought it best in the meantime to remove from our old dwelling which had long been condemned as unhealthy to another mission house fortunately empty this change was at first attended with the most beneficial results and our hope revived so much that we looked forward to the approaching rainy season for our entire restoration but it only lasted a little while and then both of us became convinced that though a voyage at sea involved much 
that was exceedingly painful yet it presented the only prospect of recovery and could not therefore without a breach of duty be neglected oh if it were only the will of god to take me now to let me die here he repeated over and over again in a tone of anguish while we were considering the subject i cannot cannot go this is almost more than i can bear was there ever suffering like our suffering and the like broken expressions were continually falling from his lips but as soon as he gathered more strength of purpose and after the decision was fairly made he never hesitated for a moment rather regarding the prospect with pleasure i think the struggle which this resolution cost injured him very materially though probably it had no share in bringing about the final result god who saw the end from the beginning had counted out his days and they were hastened to a close until this time he had been able to stand and to walk slowly from room to room but as he one evening attempted to rise from his chair he was suddenly deprived of his small remnant of muscular strength and would have fallen to the floor but for timely support from that moment his decline was rapid as he lay helplessly upon his couch and watched the swelling of his feet and other alarming symptoms he became very anxious to commence his voyage and i felt equally anxious to have his wishes gratified i still hoped he might recover the doctor said the chances of life and death were in his opinion equally balanced and then he always loved the sea so dearly there was something exhilarating to him in the motion of a vessel and he spoke with animation of getting free from the almost suffocating atmosphere so intent to the hot season and drinking in the fresh sea breezes he talked but little more however than was necessary to indicate his wants his bodily sufferings being too great to allow of conversation but several times he looked up to me with bright smile and exclaimed as heretofore oh the love of christ the love of christ i found it difficult to ascertain from expressions casually dropped from time to time his real opinion with regard to his recovery but i thought there was some reason to doubt whether he was fully aware of his critical situation i did not suppose he had any preparation to make at this late hour and i felt sure that if he should be called ever so unexpectedly he would not enter the presence of his maker with a ruffled spirit but i could not bear to have him go away without knowing how doubtful it was whether our next meeting would not be in eternity and perhaps in my own distress i might have looked for words of encouragement and sympathy to a source which had never before failed it was late in the night and i had been performing some little sick-room offices when suddenly he looked up to me and exclaimed this will never do you are killing yourself for me and i will not permit it you must have some one to relieve you if i had not been made selfish by suffering i should have insisted upon it long ago 
he spoke so like himself with the earnestness of health and in a tone which to my ear had of late been a stranger that for a moment i felt almost bewildered with sudden hope he received my reply to what he said with half pitying half gratified smile but in the meantime his expression had changed the marks of excessive debility were again apparent and i could not forbear adding it is only a little while you know only a little while he repeated mournfully this separation is a bitter thing but it does not distress me now as it did i am too weak you have no reason to be distressed i answered with such glorious prospects before you you have often told me as it is the one left who suffers not the one who goes to be with christ he gave me a rapid questioning glance then assumed for several moments an attitude of deep thought finally he slowly unclosed his eyes and fixed them on me and said in a calm earnest tone i do not believe i am going to die i think i know why this illness has been sent upon me i needed it i feel that it has done me good and it is my impression that i shall now recover and be a better and more useful man then it is your wish to recover i inquired if it should be the will of god yes i should like to complete the dictionary on which i have bestowed so much labor now that it is so nearly done for though it has not been a work that pleased my taste or quite satisfied my feelings i have never underrated its importance then after that come all the plans we have formed oh i feel as though it is only just the beginning to be prepared for usefulness it is the opinion of most of the mission i remarked that you will not recover i know it is he replied and i suppose they think me an old man and imagine that it is nothing for one like me to resign a life so full of trials but i am not old at least in that sense you know i am not oh no man ever left this world with more inviting prospects with brighter hopes or warmer feelings warmer feelings he repeated and burst into tears his face was perfectly placid even while the tears broke away from the closed lids and rolled one after another down to the pillow there was no trace of agitation or pain in his manner of weeping but it was evidently the result of acute sensibilities combined with great physical weakness to some suggestions which i ventured to make he replied it is not i know all that and feel it in my inmost heart laying here on my bed when i could not talk i have had such views of longing condescension of christ and the glories of heaven as i believe are seldom granted to a mortal man it is not because i shrink from death that i wish to live neither is it because the ties that bind me here though some of them are very sweet bear any comparison with the drawings i at times feel toward heaven but a few years would not be missed from my eternity of bliss i can well afford to spare them 
for both your sake and the sake of the poor Burmans. I am not tired of my work, neither am I tired of the world. Yet when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from his school. Perhaps I feel something like the young bride, when she contemplates resigning the pleasant associations of her childhood for yet a dearer home, though only a very little like her. For there is no doubt resting on my future, and death would not take you by surprise, I remarked, if it should come even before you could get on board ship. Oh no, he said, death will never take me by surprise. Do not be afraid of that. I feel so strong in Christ. He has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. No, no, I am willing to live a few years longer, if it should be so ordered, and if otherwise I am willing and glad to die now. I leave myself entirely at the hands of God to be disposed of according to his will. The next day someone mentioned in his presence that the native Christians were greatly opposed to the voyage, and that many other persons had a similar feeling with regard to it. I thought he seemed troubled, and after the visitor had withdrawn, I inquired if he still felt as when he had conversed with me the night previous. He replied, Oh, yes, that was no evanescent feeling. It has been with me to a greater or less extent for years, and it will be with me, I trust, to the end. I am ready to go to-day, if it should be the will of God, this very hour, but I am not anxious to die, at least when I am not beside myself with pain. Then why are you so desirous to go to sea? I should think it would be a matter of indifference to you. No, he answered quietly. My judgment tells me it would be wrong not to go. The doctor says, criminal, I shall surely die here. If I go away, I may possibly recover. There is no question with regard to duty in such case. I do not like to see any hesitation, even though it springs from affection. He several times spoke of a burial at sea, and always, as though the prospect were agreeable, it brought, he said, a sense of freedom and expansion that seemed far pleasanter than the refined, dark, narrow grave to which he had committed so many that he loved. And he added that although his burial place was a matter of no real importance, yet he believed it was not in a human nature to be altogether without choice. I have already given you an account of the embarkation of my visits to him while the vessel remained in the river and of our last sad silent parting mr rainey had finished the picture you will find in this closing part some dark shadows that will give you pain but you must remember that his present felicity is enhanced by those very sufferings and we should regret nothing that serves to brighten his crown in glory I ought also to add that I have gained pleasanter impressions in conversation with Mr. R. than from his written account, 
but it would be difficult to convey them to you and as he whom they concern was accustomed to say of similar things you will learn it all in heaven during the last hour of your sainted brother's life mr rennie bent over him and held his hand while poor pinopa stood at a little distance weeping bitterly the table had been spread in the cuddy as usual and the officers did not know what was passing in the cabin till summoned to dinner then they gathered about the door and watched the closing scene with solemn reverence now thanks to a merciful god his pains have left him not a momentary spasm disturbed his placid face nor did the contraction of a muscle denote the least degree of suffering the agony of death was past and his weary spirit was turning to its rest in the bosom of his saviour from time to time he pressed the hand in which his own was resting his clasp losing its force in each successive pressure while his shortened breath though there was no struggle no gasping as it came with difficulty gradually grew softer and fainter till it died upon the air and he was gone mr rennie closed the eyes and composed the passive limbs the ship's officers stole softly from the door and the neglected meal was left on the board untasted they lowered him to his ocean grave without a prayer for his freed spirit had soared above the reach of earthly intercession and to the foreigners who stood around it would have been a senseless form and there they left him in his unquiet sepulchre but it matters little for we know that while unconscious clay is drifting on the shifting currents of the restless main nothing can disturb the hallowed rest of an immortal spirit neither could he have a more fitting monument than the blue waves which visit every coast for his warm sympathies went forth to the ends of the earth and included the whole family of man it is as god would have it and our duty is but to bend meekly to his will and wait in faith and patience till we shall be summoned home end of chapter one part three